44 as it reminds us of the summary of the law in the Tenth Commandment and also our understanding of the function of the law that's uh, revealed in, uh, or shown to us in question answers 114 and 115 from God's Word. So beginning with 113, this is found on page 50. Page 50. What is God's will for us in the Tenth Commandment? that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in my heart. Rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. And here's the two questions we'll be looking at this afternoon. But can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why, then, does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach our goal, perfection. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this afternoon. Let's come together in prayer. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your law and we're thankful that you've given it to us. We're thankful that we can sing the, of your unfailing love which is revealed to us in your law. We pray that you would help us to uh, appreciate its function as well, not to, to leave it on a shelf or to consider that we've, we've surpassed that, but to, to listen to your law and to apply its functions to our lives. We ask that you would, you would guide us with your Spirit, that the Spirit of Christ may dwell within us and may, may wean us from sin, but also strengthen our walk of fellowship and our walk of faith in righteousness. Help us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've come to the conclusion of God's law and, and as we look at these last two questions of Lord's Day 44, uh, we recognize that there's, there's one more uh, aspect of God's law that, that we have to deal with. And the catechism is essentially asking us, now what are you going to do with the law of God? We've taken an extended exposition of God's law following the, the Heidelberg Catechism. Now what? This is a question, now we need to recognize this is a question for you as a Christian. When the Heidelberg Catechism is addressing these two questions to us, it's, it's not looking at the world, it's not saying, okay, now how does God's law work in the world? It's looking at the church and saying, so what? What about you who acknowledge that you've been convert, converted through the work of the Holy Spirit? What are you going to do with the law? And that's where we started our grateful service. Uh, as we've been in that section dealing with our gratitude, the Heidelberg Catechism very helpfully applies God's Word, and it talks about conversion. That, that once we've embraced God's grace by faith, 
And once we are aware of that, that, that we need to change. We, we need to die to the old self we, through repentance, and we need the coming to life of the new self through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and God is going to accomplish that by the work of the Holy Spirit. But this afternoon, we come to the conclusion of the law, and we look at the function. Now let's step back and consider how this is going to function amongst you who know and trust and believe the work of Jesus Christ. And there's three functions that our catechism deals with. First of all, exposing guilt. Secondly, teaching our need. And thirdly, confirming our goal. And that is the purpose of the law. I find it interesting as we, we've sung through Psalm 119 as it's a rendition of that. It's a poetic rendition of, of those uh, sets of verses that are found in Psalm 119. How, how readily, uh, readily applicable they are to, to our lives and to our circumstances. And, and how helpful the function of God's law are for us. It's, it's foreign to many in our day. Particularly stanza 3, I will walk in the freedom you give. That, that when we have the law, we have freedom. That the law isn't a series of regulations simply to, to stop us from enjoying our, our independence. The law is, is a way of freedom, and understanding the function of God's law is a path of freedom. For your precepts, I've earnestly sought that that's one of the functions of God's law, to direct us in that, that path of freedom, but also I will speak of your statutes to kings. That's one of the, the responsibilities we've had. In fact, we've encouraged that with regard to uh, bringing submissions to our government with regard to the decriminalization of abortion. We have this understanding of life because God's law has given it to us. And so what is our responsibility? To speak to the government. And, and to shame, I will never be brought. How Relevant is God's law and the praise of God's law for us. And that's one of its functions. But this afternoon we're, we're going to start, we're going to step back just a little bit further and we're going to deal with, with a very intimate and, and personal function. And the first function is exposing guilt. Exposing guilt. Can those converted to God obey, obey these commandments perfectly? As we've listened to what Paul has said, he identifies a danger that arises from the misuse of the law. This misuse of the law arises from a, a spiritual pride. It's a spiritual pride that thinks something like this, and it cycles this way in our heads and in our hearts, that goes like this, we may not be perfect, but we're getting close. We're getting close. Or maybe it goes something like this. We are willing to say we're far from perfect, but in getting close, we're much better than someone else. That's a misuse of the law. We think, okay, we're not perfect, but we're better than so-and-so. There is a spiritual pride that, that offers our credentials of obedience and says, 
I'm pretty good at Christian living. It's this confidence that, that Paul speaks about, that warns us of, that, that he recognizes he had engaged in himself when we, we go through the law. It's a confidence in the flesh. It's so easy to leave it external and to say, well, well when it comes to, to murder or adultery or, or bearing false witness or stealing, externally, I've done pretty well. But beware. Beware. We come to the Heidelberg Catechism and, and it says, now, now we've misused the law if, if we've allowed that, that pride and those, those arrogant thoughts to carry on unhindered in our lives. And that needs to be challenged. Challenged by this opening statement, do we do you keep the law perfectly? Oh no, we say maybe not perfectly, but better than so and so. And then, then it presents to us in this life, even the holiest, the holiest of persons has only a small beginning of obedience. Perfect? Nowhere close. Even the holiest have a small beginning. And it's only a beginning. Are we to say with, with Isaiah, all our righteousness, take my best works, look at the good things that I do, all my righteousness is as filthy rags. Something that is foul and to be discarded because it's no longer useful. All my righteousness is as filthy rags. Or like Paul in Philippians 3, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of their surpassing value or the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Paul says, my credentials, they're like a pile of garbage. My righteousness doesn't come from the law. We can so easily misuse the law to bolster our image. We need to recover its function in the Christian life. It is given to expose guilt. My desire for obedience needs to follow the whole law. And of this I have only a beginning because when it, when it comes to our desire for obedience, isn't it true that we're so selective? I can find one commandment that I don't have a problem with, but all of them I fail miserably. Even the best I do. Is rubbish. Absolute garbage. And so I must press on. Because in God's hand, the law convicts us and reminds us of our guilt. And that's a good thing. That's the design when God's Word and His law is working amongst Christians. But coupled with that law of exposing our guilt and that purpose of exposing our guilt, there is another purpose, and that is teaching our need of looking to Jesus Christ. Were it not for this aspect of the testimony of God's law, we would be in great despair. Despair. 
We can read uh, question and answer 115 in that way. It almost sounds like a, a note of cynicism. No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. That's a statement of fact. This morning, if we couple it together with what we... That's the indicative. That's, that's the reality. No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. That's a pretty brutal statement, isn't it? If that's the case, why then does God want them preached so pointedly? Now, some will say, oh, God doesn't want them preached that pointedly. God wants you to focus and, and to, to see that you live by faith, not by the law. Let's not worry about the law. Let's just worry about your relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ Himself said, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. That love and the law go hand to hand together in, in God's way of working. And so we need to deal with our guilt. And we need to deal with our guilt as we, we look to Jesus Christ. How do you deal with it? And when we acknowledge that our, our guilt grows, it has this, this wonderful reality so that the longer we live, there's a particular urgency to, to awareness of this guilt, not to suppress it, but to allow it to seep in and to convict me so that the more and more I, I, I live, the longer I live, the more I may come to know our sinfulness and, and, it's so vital, and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. The longer we live, the more we come to know our sinfulness. Notice it doesn't say we become more sinful. It's not like the closer we get to Christ, the, the more we can sin. That's not what the catechism is saying. It says, no, the closer we come to Christ, actually, the more we know of our own sinfulness. It says we become aware the fullness of our guilt is beginning to be realized. And the fact that this isn't just talking about external conformity, it's also talking about internal conformity, that, that what we have in our souls doesn't, doesn't crop up with, with obedience to God. And here is where we begin to, to understand and, and rejoice in the, the, the glorious work and purpose of God's law. When we, we feel the pinch and the prodding of God's law with guilt, here is His purpose, so that we would more eagerly, urgently, expectantly, longingly look to Jesus Christ. This dovetails so well with, the, with this morning's message that, that the more we realize what we don't have, the more we can see and worship and exalt Christ for everything that He has done for us. He is the one to whom we must turn with our guilt. He is the one who addresses our barrenness and our emptiness and our sinfulness. That as our guilt grows, or not, let me say it this way, as awareness of our guilt grows, our gaze is more directly focused and fixated on the cross of Jesus Christ. So like the thief who dies with Jesus on the cross, often we remember the one thing He says, the one thing he says is, is to Jesus, remember me when you come, in with, come into paradise. And Jesus says to him, 
You will be with me today in paradise. But the thief says something else. What does he say to the other thief on the cross? He says, be quiet. Because we both hang here rightly. But Jesus has done nothing wrong. He looks at Jesus and he says, now there is one who has perfectly fulfilled the law. And he dies under the wrath of God. And I deserve that. But he doesn't. And so, people of God, again, we, we need to contend with this. What are you doing with your awareness of guilt? Is your awareness of guilt growing? Because there are, there are many ways that, that Christians try to remove their guilt. Remove the awareness of their guilt. They shift the blame. They can't help it. This is the way God has made them. They deaden the pain of their guilt awareness by, by making comparisons. They're not that bad after all. They, they shouldn't feel so guilty. They're pretty decent. They've tried hard. They've had good inclinations. Some erroneously think they can remove the guilt themselves if they just work a little harder, serve a little better, give themselves a little bit more to obedience. But these are all wrong ways. There's only one solution. There's only one way to remove your guilt. You need to feel the pressure and the pinch of this guilt. What do you do with it as you come and grow and mature? See, maturity in the Christian life is, is actually growing more and more in awareness of my sinfulness and coupled with that is, is the glorious awareness. What is maturity in the Christian life? It is a, a profound awareness that for all my guilt, there is the solution of Jesus Christ. That He fulfilled the law perfectly. That He is to be trusted more and more. Like a deer, are we panting for those waters of, of living grace that flow from our Savior. That's the function of the law. To expose our guilt, but to teach us in the midst of our guilt, an awareness and a deepening awareness of our guilt, to look to Jesus Christ with eager expectation for the forgiveness of sins and for righteousness. And then thirdly, thirdly, when you know Christ, you realize then how good God's law is. Christ changes our view of the law. He restores that function, that it exposes our guilt and, and allows us to, to be aware of our need and teaches our awareness of need. And then from, from that flows this glorious enhancement so that we will pray Pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit and constantly strive to be renewed after God's image. We want to sharpen the point of God's law so that we're constantly renewed according to God's image. This is the glorious twist that Paul puts on this as he, he goes through all of his credentials and he says they're worthless, they're valueless, they're, they're rubbish, they have no goodness in them. They demand perfection, but I have none of it. And so what do I do? I press on to make that goal of Christ my own. Why? Why? 
because I'm not quite there yet. Do you see the twist that he says? No. I press on. I strive for perfection. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. It is because I belong to Him that the urgency and the eagerness and the expectation and the desire for perfection grows more and more along with the awareness of my sin, with, along with the eagerness of, of uh, uh, looking to Jesus Christ. Awareness that, that He has possessed me and He's possessed me as who I am. I press on to make perfection my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Never confuse in the Christian life, never confuse in the function of God's law, the cause and the effect, the root and the fruit, because Christ saves me from guilt, because Christ owns me as His own. That is the the cause of my salvation. And what will be the effect? I will strive to be more and more like Him. It's the outworking of His power. It's a power that Paul says is the power of the resurrection. You see, our confession of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a confession of a fact of history. It is a confession of power in Christian living. You can live in Christ, not without Him, not by yourself, not by your own power, but in Him. You can live a new life. Because that power, a spiritual power, is active in you. The same power by which the Father raised Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit's activity in your hearts. So that you will make His goal your goal. You will make His image your image. You will bear His fruit because you are connected with His root. And what will people say? And what will people see? They will see the power of Christ in you and in me. Not so that we can push out our chest and see, say, see what I've accomplished. But we can humbly acknowledge if it were left to myself. I can only contribute sin. But Christ is active within me. And this addresses another error. Another error that that creeps into our reflections about the function of God's law. And that is the error of cynicism. Cynicism is this, this familiarity with God's law that, that looks upon obedience and looks upon the work of Jesus Christ as valueless. Think of cynicism like a spiritual sit-down strike. It used to be sometimes that, that, that there were these sit-down strikes as a form of protest, protest against employers who, who didn't pay sufficient wages. It was prominent in the 30s in the States when workers would, would go into the steel mills or into the automobile factories or into the rubber industries and they would go to their positions on the job and they would just sit down and not do any work. And it paralyzed those businesses because, because they, they, they couldn't get other employees to go in and do the work because all the sit-down employees who were, who were protesting were, were in the way and so they just crippled the industries. And sometimes that's our spiritual attitude. We know it's impossible to be perfect. We know 
we don't have to be perfect. And so we're not even going to try. We look at God's law and say, yeah, right, who's going to do that? After all, there's nothing I can do anyways. But this spirit, the spirit of cynicism, the view of God's law that says, well, it's just drudgery and difficulty and it's not necessary anyways is a spiritual sit-down strike that looks nothing like the work of Jesus Christ. This is not the one who has savored the work of our Messiah. The one who has truly tasted grace and says, I know my guilt, but I also know my Savior from that guilt. And it's His glory, His grace, His goal that He has given to me. Life has a purpose. Life has meaning. My obedience is a gift from God to use in all of life. Let me testify to the work of my Savior. And that's right where we began our consideration of God's law. If we're delivered all completely by grace, why must we still do good? We do good because Christ by His Holy Spirit is renewing us to be like Himself. So that in all of our living, not only in some of it, but in all of our living, we may show that we are thankful to God for all that He has done for us. And so that He may be praised through us. And we do good. Here's the clincher. So that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be one for Christ. Why did the psalmist love the law so much? Why were they willing to sing in praise and adoration, I will walk in the freedom You give for Your precepts I've earnestly sought when all the world is telling us that's a load of rubbish that, that enhances our cynicism and we say, what's the point? Because it allows us to witness to the pleasure of all of God's commandments and to say, You are a God who is good and Your law is good and I will follow it. And this law gives an urgency of looking to Christ and of prayer in our lives. While praying to God for His grace, that's what this law prompts us to, to see, that we need God's grace, active, alive, apparent in our lives. Pray that we would use the law rightly. That we would understand God's function for this law, to expose our guilt, to teach us our need of Christ, and to confirm us in that goal, His design is to secure our life with Him. Pray for that. Pray for that grace through the work of the Holy Spirit and the use of God's law. So this week is an opportunity. An opportunity to live and to use God's law in that positive way. In that glorious way to witness to kings, to witness to the world, and to show them the wonder of who your God is. Use His law for that. That's why He's blessed you with it. Amen.